Extended anticoagulation beyond the initial three months is indicated for all types of VTE, except in surgery or trauma VTE or in patients at high risk of bleeding. Are you up to date on the latest treatment options for VTE and their duration? Listen to find out more. This is the third podcast episode in a four-part series on thrombosis in various clinical conditions. In this episode, we focus on anti-thrombotic treatment for VTE and how long optimal treatment should be. This podcast is an initiative of core to ed and supported by an independent educational grant from Viatris. I'm honored to introduce to you today's two experts in the field of thrombotic disorders, Professor Dimitrios Tsakiris and Professor Jerzy Windiga. We are very excited to listen to your discussion. Thank you. My name is Dimitrios Tsakiris and I'm a hematologist specialized in clinical and diagnostic hemostasis at the University of Basel in Switzerland. My colleague, uh, Professor Jerzy Windiga and me are delighted to share with you today a podcast on uh, venous thrombosis and duration of anticoagulation treatment. We believe that uh, this is important because it can help us choose the right anticoagulant for the right treatment in uh, the right patient. Let me welcome first uh, our discussion partner, Professor Jerzy Windiga, who is also a specialized hematologist in this field. Good morning, Jerzy. Could you please tell us a few words about uh, your field? Thank you, Dimitrios. Great pleasure and honor to be with you today. Yes, as you said, I am hematologist. I am head of the Department of Hemostasis Disorders and Internal Medicine in the Institute of Hematology and Transfusion Medicine in Warsaw, Poland. I treat adult patients and uh, we focus in our clinic on patients with uh, benign hematology, including hemostatic problems, of course, also patients with thromboembolic problems. Very well, thank you. Uh, we will start the discussion focusing first on uh, pathophysiology issues of uh, thrombotic disease, and then we'll go over to the treatment uh, of uh, this entity. But uh, referring to pathophysiology, I would like to say that angiologists today do not distinguish between deep vein thrombosis and pulmonary embolism. They consider it uh, one entity and uh, the same treatment is uh, taken for both uh, situations. But going to the triggering mechanisms, uh, what uh, triggers the thrombotic event is uh, always an injury of the vessel wall, a tissue injury on that. This can be mechanical, it can be chemical, it can also be inflammation. We always knew that uh, inflammation can be a trigger for that, but uh, never realized that it could be so important. In the COVID era, uh, this uh, uh, condition came very well in the foreground, and that is also why the term thromboinflammation was coined because of that. But uh, let us hear the experience of Professor Vindiga on this subject. Is tissue injury alone enough, or do we need additional triggers? I agree with you that during the COVID era, we realized that uh, the pathophysiology of pulmonary embolism or just pulmonary uh, thrombosis 
can be different from what we thought before. I believe that venous thromboembolism is a multifactorial disease, of course, and there are many risk factors for development of venous thromboembolism. Of course, we know very well that there are many equite factors that probably we will discuss in a moment uh, a little bit more in detail. But there are also, of course, inherited factors like, for instance, inherited thrombophilic defects, but also some other diseases or pathologies that may contribute to the development of venous thromboembolism. For me as a hematologist, of course, some diseases uh, are particularly interesting, like, for instance, paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria or myeloproliferative neoplasms. I mentioned these two group of disorders because there is something very characteristic about them, namely anticoagulants are normally uh, not sufficient to prevent venous thromboembolism or just thromboembolism in patients with paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria or PNH or a patient with myeloproliferative neoplasms, which means that pathophysiology of VTE, to the understanding of pathophysiology in a given patient with some concomitant disorders is extremely important to adjust therapy and tailored therapy to a given patient. Very well. You just mentioned a couple of acquired defects which can lead to a thrombotic event. Thrombosis in nature is not very rare. I mean, it has been estimated that we have an incidence, an average incidence of one case per thousand per year. Uh, if you take uh, younger patients below 30 years, this can be 10 times less. But if you take also older people, this can be 10 times uh, higher. We know that age alone is a triggering risk factor because uh, we see in the epidemiological studies that uh, above uh, the 55th year of age, the incidence uh, rises uh, dramatically. Now, concerning the heritable thrombophilia, do you see, let's say, an importance in uh, uh, this situation, in this genetic background as a cause for thrombotic disease? Because in nature, in evolution, heritable thrombophilia has been a survival advantage on that. But later on, it turns out to be deleterious. What is your opinion on that? That's a very interesting point, but I agree with you. As far as I remember some publications on this topic, Factor 5 Leiden developed because it was the sort of protection of uh, women during delivery. I mean, the uh, amount of blood loss during delivery is decreasing women with Factor 5 Leiden. And thanks to that, this uh, inherited thrombophilic defect is uh, so common in our population, I mean, at least in white race. So I would say that, of course, inherited thrombophilia plays important role as one of many factors that uh, contribute to the index episode or the first episode of venous thromboembolism. Of course, when it comes to uh, recurrent DTE, then the situation is much more complex. And, uh, it seems that uh, thrombophilic defects are not so important or they do not contribute that much to the risk of recurrent VTE. But definitely it depends on the defect we are talking about. Factor V Leiden, thrombin gene mutations are probably of less importance in terms of recurrent VTE. However, protein C, protein S or 
particularly antithrombin deficiency, I believe these defects play important role also in VTE recurrency. This leads us very smoothly to uh, our next subject on treatment of uh, thrombotic disease. If we have a patient who has a thrombosis, then it is inevitable and undisputable that uh, we should anticoagulate him. But uh, do we need uh, the so-called prognostic or risk scores that have been uh, occasionally published in the literature? My personal experience is that Although uh, there are some scores which have been also prospectively tested, I can mention two of them, the Vienna prognostic score and the DASH score. They use uh, uh, very common item score factors to identify the risk. But uh, at the end, my experience is that nobody uses them directly because thrombotic treatment is decided upon direct clinical characteristics. What do you think on that? I agree. Uh, I am aware, of course, of these scores, and as far as I know, they are not uh, recommended in international guidelines to be used in daily practice because they have not been validated sufficiently in, in clinical trials. We generally, in our center, in our hospital, we decide on the duration of therapy, taking into account acquired inherited factors that play a role in the um, occurrence of index episode and, of course, the risk of recurrent uh, VTE episode. But we always take into account also the risk of uh, bleeding complications because we know very well that anticoagulants, unfortunately, are still associated with uh, increased risk of bleeding complications. And it is probably the most important and critical is to weigh the benefit of prolonging anticoagulation versus risk of bleeding complications uh, in a given patient. Now, this is correct. Traditionally, we used to uh, treat these patients for a short period of time, three months or six months, depending on the treating center. But uh, studies have uh, made us aware that the risk for recurrent thrombosis remains high for life. And... Uh, Concerning idiopathic or not provoked, unprovoked thrombotic events, the current guidelines propose that they should be treated for life, except if there are contraindications such as uh, high bleeding risk. How do you see this development? Uh, some treaters still have, uh, let's say, psychological hindrance to accept that. Uh, they don't uh, give young patients, for example, an anticoagulation for life just because they had a thrombotic event. How do you handle that in your center? Yeah, that's very interesting. I think that uh, our approach changed significantly once uh, directoral anticoagulants arrived and uh, we started to use these drugs because they simplified our management of people with VTE. I believe that drugs carry less risk of bleeding complications. At the same time, they are very convenient for the patient, mostly because the patients don't have to monitor INR during therapy, which, which is necessary, of course, when it uh, comes to vitamin K antagonists. On the other hand, the safety margin is much uh, wider now, and thanks to that, we can prolong therapy. 
I also believe that you mentioned unprovoked VTE. I fully agree. Uh, also, those VTEs that are associated with some moderate risk factors. I believe that at least some patients may benefit from prolonged anticoagulation. And finally, also patients who have uh, persistent big risk factors of VTE, they should be treated, frankly speaking, indefinitely or lifelong even. I mean, of course, patient with uh, cancer, but also patient, for instance, with antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, or of course, patients who have already recurrent venous thromboembolism. In those patients, I would definitely go into this direction of lifelong therapy because I believe the benefit for the patient is clear. Of course, we always, we always look at the risk of bleeding. This is interesting. That's such a sensitive subject. If you have a patient and give him anticoagulation, then we know that the recurrence risk diminishes by time. And after uh, four or five years, the risk for a recurrent thrombosis is the same as the risk of bleeding uh, due to the anticoagulant. So the patient has to decide, or you as a treater, you have to decide, shall I live with the risk of bleeding or for the rest of my life or with the risk of uh, a thrombotic event for the rest of my life? What do you do here? Dimitris, this is very important part of our discussion, I believe. First of all, I'd like to mention that it is extremely important to discuss with the patient what is uh, her or his will. I mean, from my practice, most of my patients are very much afraid of recurrent deep vein thrombosis or pulmonary embolism, definitely. And they prefer to be treated. But that's correct. In some patients, even though the risk of bleeding is not that high, the patients are afraid also of bleeding complications. And in those patients, of course, we can find a solution, I believe, at least in some of them, because DOACs, at least in some of them, we can use lower doses of anticoagulation. And thanks to that, we believe that we diminish the risk of bleeding complications. And at the same time, we still protect our patients against a venous thromboembolism. Of course, in some patients, it is not a good uh, solution. I mean, those patients who have very high risk of recurrent VTE. However, in many patients, I deeply believe this is a solution that can be used and will be uh, welcomed by the patients. Well, that is uh, very important to mention. It is indeed an advantage that DOACs allow us to use the reduced dosing model because, as you uh, mentioned, it offers equal efficacy with less uh, risk for bleeding in that case. Now, my second question about the antiphospholipid syndrome that you mentioned. Uh, we have been uh, handling antiphospholipid syndrome as a situation which uh, needs a long-term anticoagulation. But what about uh, when the laboratory finding disappears? Uh, after some years, five, six years, uh, 10 years, you do not find any antiphospholipid antibodies anymore. Sometimes it's not very often, but it can happen. Then we use to stop anticoagulation when we see that uh, this uh, negative finding persists. Is that correct? Or uh, do we do something? What is your uh, experience 
Because if you see the newest modern guidelines, then uh, everybody says treat them for life. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. This is very interesting issue. You know, in those patients who mm, have very high titers of anticardiolipine, anti-beta-2, GP1 antibodies, and uh, at the same time, for instance, uh, I mean, for instance, lupus anticoagulant, which is probably the most important antiphospholipid antibody in terms of risk of thromboembolic uh, episodes, I have never seen, frankly speaking, the disappearance of high titers of, of uh, those antibodies. But you are absolutely correct. I have many patients in whom we diagnose antiphospholipid syndrome based on the lab results and, of course, the occurrence of thromboembolic episode. And with time, the uh, antibodies disappeared. In most cases, the baseline antibodies, uh, antiphospholipid antibodies levels were relatively, I would say, they, they were elevated, however, they were rather mildly elevated or, uh, or moderately elevated. And in those patients, frankly speaking, we don't know what is the best approach. If I see disappearance of antiphospholipid antibodies, definitely I wouldn't give up with anticoagulation immediately. I would rather prefer to test the patient for the second time, maybe even for the third time. Of course, discuss with the patient uh, what is the meaning of such finding? And if uh, uh, disappearance of antiphospholipid antibodies persists, then of course I would suggest to think about discontinuation of uh, anticoagulation. But definitely, this is my view, this is my, let's say, experience, this is based on my experience, but I'm afraid we don't have enough data and evidence to support this approach in any case that I described. Thank you for that clarification. Now let's take in focus uh, to other patient groups, uh, the elderly and uh, the pregnant women. Considering the elderly, we know that an old person should not bleed more than uh, a young person uh, just because of the anticoagulant. But uh, in the clinical studies, they seem to bleed more often, uh, but this is because uh, of comorbidities or uh, co-medication that they have. Do we need to give elderly people less anticoagulation than uh, indicated by the guidelines or not? Because some treaters, uh, because of fear, uh, they reduce the intensity. What is your experience on that? No, I would rather, you know, follow the product characteristics. I mean, I wouldn't reduce the dose only because of age. We know very well that, uh, you know, the biological age of people is different. I, you know what I mean? That in some patients, even those who are really elderly, there are very few concomitant diseases. They are, in, they are fit patients. They do not uh, complain that much. They are in very good biological shape. And in those patients, I would definitely stick uh, to uh, recommended normal doses, let's say. The reduction I would consider, of course, in those patients you already mentioned, so some, with some concomitant diseases that definitely lead to increased risk of bleeding complications. Yes, very well. 
then we could shortly touch the issue of uh, pregnancy and thrombosis uh, because this could be a subject of uh, a podcast by itself. But let me say, in pregnancy, we have only one choice, and that is heparins, which uh, we could give. If we have a thrombotic event in pregnancy, uh, do we treat it also beyond uh, the three-month period that is indicated as long as pregnancy is uh, still active? Or do you stop it during pregnancy if uh, the three-month period is complete? Okay, that's another very important issue. Uh, definitely, I wouldn't stop during pregnancy if the event uh, occurred during pregnancy and the three-month period and during pregnancy, I would continue anticoagulation. I would definitely continue also after delivery, at least for six weeks after delivery, because of the higher risk of thromboembolism, also recurrence of thromboembolic episodes in the period, in this six-week period after, uh, after delivery. On top of that, frankly speaking, in young patients, definitely we think about, you know, uh, looking for thrombophilic defects because uh, we believe that the reason of VTE in a very young patient should be explored and we should at least try to find the reason of this episode. Therefore, I would recommend also thrombophilia testing in such patient, yes, because it can be very important also for the future of this young woman to decide uh, not only with respect to subsequent pregnancies, but uh, also with respect to uh, some drugs, you know what I mean, of course, uh, estrogens and some other oral contraceptives and so on, whether uh, she can use those drugs safely or not. So uh, that is my approach and that is our approach. Very well, thank you, Gezi. It's very interesting, but we are running out of time. We have to close slowly the discussion here. And let me give three takeaway messages concerning duration of anticoagulation. Now, extended anticoagulation beyond initial three months is indicated for all types of thrombotic events, except surgery or trauma, uh, that is, the uh, provoked ones and except uh, in cases of high risk for bleeding. And now, as you said, DOAC uh, are suitable for extended treatment and they can be used in reduced dose after the initial six months, which is a very helpful issue in the context of personalized medicine that we are handling with. And uh, a third message, which we didn't really discuss, is that aspirin alone can be used instead in, uh, let's say, special cases as an exception if DOAC uh, are not applicable. Now, uh, would you like to add to these key takeaway messages? Yeah, maybe one or two things, Dimitros. So the first with respect to aspirin, of course, it uh, also has a role in VTE based on the evidence we know or we gathered over the last years. However, of course, it is a minor role, only for some very special patients, as you mentioned in your conclusions. The second thing I would like to stress again is the role of decision taken by the doctor and the patient. With respect to duration of anticoagulation, I believe this is very important. And uh, finally, I would also mention the importance of clinical monitoring of the patient who receives 
indefinite anticoagulation because of course the situation can change over time and because of that we not only can but we sometimes should change our approach and either stop the uh, anticoagulation or maybe we should make some changes in the drugs or in other aspects of anticoagulation therapy. Thank you, Gerzi, for these interesting points and for sharing your experience with us. Thank you, listeners, for being with us today. We hope that we can have you again next time dealing with perioperative hemostasis. Thank you. Thank you so much for this episode. We've learned a lot from your discussion on how long antithrombotic treatment should be and its impact on different patient categories. If you like this episode and want to find out more on thrombosis in various clinical conditions, then look on the Hematology Medical Conversation podcast under the account of Add Medical Education for the other episodes on monitoring anticoagulation, thrombosis and cancer, and perioperative thromboprophylaxis. Also, don't forget to rate this episode or inform your colleagues about it. Thank you for listening and see you next time. This podcast is an initiative of Core2Ed and developed by Hemostasis Connect, a group of international experts working in the field of hemostasis. The views expressed are the personal opinions of the experts. They do not necessarily represent the views of the experts' organizations or the rest of the Hemostasis Connect group. For expert disclosures on any conflict of interest, please visit cortuat.com, which is spelled as C-O-R, two as a number, E-D.